Welcome to the Slam Radio Podcast, featuring The Michael McCoy Show. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to The Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. I'm happy to be back this week. We got a lot to talk about. Even though basketball season is officially over, there's still some basketball news we're going to get into, a whole bunch of college football news, and um, of course, the NFL, about a quarter into the NFL season, heading into week six. So um, we're going to start off this, I'm sorry, this week's show with college football because there's a lot to talk about. And like I said, uh, we want to get into that. But of course, as you know, um, we've got to talk about the Canes. I mean, that's what we're all about here. And I figured there's no better way to do that than to start, than to start off the show with talking with um, Stephen Chetham. We'll call, go ahead and call him Steph. He is a contributor for State of the U, and he puts up some really, really good content. So I suggest you hit that follow button on Twitter. Uh, Steph, how you doing, man? Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, what's going on, Mike? How's everything, man? Doing good? Good to hear, H- Happy man. after this, this, this weekend, man. 31 to, to 19 is so nice to have a winning weekend again. Yes, no, I hear you, man. I'm totally uh, glad that we were able to bounce back from that Clemson debacle up in uh, Death Valley a couple of weeks ago. Glad oh. to see that they didn't beat us twice. But um, <laughs> yeah, man, we we've had we struggled with that, as you know. But glad to have you on, man. Um, I don't even know where to get started, man. I guess I'll just go ahead and start off by asking you, how did you feel going into the Pittsburgh game after that? that, you know, national TV performance a couple of weeks ago up in South Carolina. Uh, how did you feel during the game and your thoughts maybe after the game? Go ahead and, and let me know, man. I'll tell you what, man, going into the game, it was one of those things where you're nervous, not because the opponent is that good, but because you know your team so well. Yes. And we all know over the past, Four years, pretty much since Manny's been here, um, since the, the Rick era began, we have had these instances where we have a big game. We win, we win a nice game, whether it's um, the first game against G-Tech, the FSU um, comeback, um, this year versus FSU, and then the very next week, we lose. And that usually starts an effect where we lose three or four games in a row. And that was the thing I wanted to see the most to stop that trend, which is a four-year trend, to make sure that we didn't do that again. Yep. And even and it, I felt better before the game because Kenny Pickett wasn't playing. He's 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 not a world beater, but he, he's a very stable and solid quarterback for Pittsburgh. So that mm-hmm. kind of gave me a little little relief um, right. coming into the game. But as as the game started, as as it progressed, um, it it felt like the team knew they had to win this game. It felt like they knew that they had to perform. But at times it felt like they may have been trying to do too many things or just not getting into the, te- the technicality of the game. It was, okay. it was more emotion. It was more effort, more attitude. But there were just things that they were missing on. Okay. Um, and it just felt like they were just trying too hard. Uh, obviously, we came up with the win, so that's a good thing. This is, this is the kind of game where you want to have those hiccups in. Right. You don't want to have these hiccups in a game against UNC, who, wow, they lost this weekend. But they're still a great team <laughs> yeah. um, against VT because even though those teams may – have their hiccups, like like we mentioned, against teams like FSU, against teams like Syracuse, where UNC wasn't winning until the fourth. When they play games like Miami, we're most teams Super Bowl. Just yep. like Clemson is a Super Bowl for a lot of teams, we're a lot of teams Super Bowl. No doubt. So when we play those teams, we cannot have these hiccups. So this is the game you want to, to fail a little bit while still winning the game. All good points, man. You're right. Um, and, and, you know, as we alluded to earlier, 
there's been several times, well, as you, I'm sorry, as you alluded to earlier, there's been several times Miami comes off a big game and sometimes they kind of start to feel themselves a little bit. And, you know, we're our own worst enemy in that regard. But um, I think you could call it a little bit of growth or, uh, you know, maturity, as you can see, you know, the guys, they hunkered down. And what I like best about the team this year is they're undefeated in teams, I'm sorry, in games that they're supposed to win. And we all know that Miami's led the universe in games that they should win and lose over the past, I don't know, however many years. So it was good to see them bounce back. And that Pittsburgh team, you know, anytime you you think of a Pat Narduzzi coach team, man, they're, they're going to bring it. They got a couple... They got a couple NFL, you know, guys that are going to play on Sundays, Paris Ford being one of them. Yeah, yep. uh, I really didn't hear his game, his name called too much. And I know that, you know, what they say in the secondary, if you don't hear a guy's name called, then that's a good thing. But his name has been called. I mean, this is a guy that uh, is tied for the nation lead in, in interceptions. He has three. And so, um, you know, he, he was a non-factor in that regard yesterday. But uh, let's talk about our own safety really quick. Bubba Bolden, who coming into the game, he has had, uh, I think he was named like ACC defensive back in the week of the week twice. And so Bubba leads the country in forced fumbles and block kicks. Um, another guy in the secondary blades is number one in total pass deflections. And, you know, going down into the defensive line, Roche is number one in tackles for loss. You talked about Pickett not playing. And I didn't know this, but he coming into yesterday, he led the nation in pass yards. Were you aware of that? Because yeah. I wasn't. <laughs> I, I was, and it's it's kind of because that Pittsburgh running game. Um, once I, I, I cannot remember the guy's name that that uh, that graduated, but once he left, their running game just disappeared. They they, they have a, a a Miami a Miami cat up there, Daniel Carter, that was from St. Thomas Aquinas. You would think he may have uh, stepped up, but they just have not had a running back really perform to what you would want for a college football team. And so okay. Pickett has had no chance or no, no choice rather, but to be that, be that all encompassing yardage guy Very for the true. team. And he's, he's really with, with Addison um, as well, who we saw and droves on set on Saturday. Uh-huh. Pickett's the guy. I mean, he's, he's, he's all they have on offense. And I, I think we, we were very fortunate to kind of take advantage of that in this past game. He entered the game with eight, eight uh, touchdowns thrown three interceptions interceptions. I'm sorry, a QBR of 62.6 and 1389 passing yards through the air. Obviously, that doesn't lead the nation anymore, but it did going into the game. So let's talk about the way Miami starts games because it seems like, and this may be a bad reference, but remember, you know, Brock Berlin wouldn't seem to play right until he threw an interception back in the day. It seems like Miami has to kind of feel out the other team first instead of coming out and automatically dominating. And I, you know what, I'm okay with it as long as they figure it out. But, um, you know, you couldn't tell <laughs> by the way that Twitter timeline was looking yesterday that Miami's defense was actually doing a very good job because Miami ended up allowing 22 yards on the ground yesterday. So kind of tell me about yep. how you feel about how they kind of start slow but end up kind of waking up. You know what it is, man? I, I, I think, especially on defense, we're still, we're still growing. I mean, it's you. You would think a team that does have a, a decent amount of experience, at, or at least a, a decent um, amount of years, right. as far as um, juniors and seniors, things of that nature, you still have this ro- rotation of individuals that are still growing. I mean, with a, with the linebackers, a lot of people were clamoring and saying, "Hey, Zach McLeod is not doing the, the best job. Right? Um, Jennings is not doing the best job." So what what happens? Thankfully, 
the defensive staff saw that. You saw more Corey Flagg. You saw more right. Sam Brooks right. at the same time. They're going to have their own missteps. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, but I, I definitely want to shout out Flagg because that gentleman is an excellent linebacker. Yep. He does a great job of, of seeing his lanes, seeing the plays before they happen, and doing a great job of, mm-hmm. of um, just making himself known and um, be, being a, a big guy for the defense. Right. But with that said, it just seemed at, at a lot of times um, on Saturday, you see these these quarterbacks for Pitt just getting to getting those passes to the edges, um, getting a little bit too much time because you you're, you're either seeing situations where um, the the line wasn't getting through, right, or the middle of the field there's miscommunications with mm-hmm. the with the safeties, miscommunication mm-hmm. with the linebackers, and you're getting these easy passes. But then all of a sudden. It's like things click. They're like, oh, okay, we made this mistake. We're, we were supposed to do this when we did this. Then all of a sudden you get, um, I think it was on the first drive of the game where Pitt's driving, they're on the 30-yard line, and then boom, you have almost an 18-yard set. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, it was just this, this ebb and flow of a defense that even though you have um, two major upperclassmen, three, three really, um, if you include Nesta um, on the defensive line with Roche and with Phillips, that are going to be where they need to be for the most part. True. Um, but with the secondary where you have um, Takori Couch starting to rotate in more, he had a very good game. Yes, he did. With, um, I, I still see Gerben Hall having some mis- miscommunications in the, in, the, in, the, in the back. Still some mis- um, miscommunications with, with Ivy. Okay. But for the most part, they're standing up. They're playing in the game well. But as, as we get um, more experience with, with, with everyone playing together as a unit, you're going to see those things start to, to blend out, hopefully. That's what we should see. Absolutely. I mean, look, it's Miami's 4-1, five games in, and we're in the middle of October. The goal is to play Clemson again in December, and there's a lot of time left, a lot of room to grow, a lot of uh, uh, opportunity to get better. But I want to piggyback on a couple of things that you said because you brought out a bunch of things that just came to mind. And I don't want to cut you off because you were making some good points. And by the way, you're listening to the Michael McCoy show on Sirius XM channel 145 Slam Radio, joined by my fellow contributor from stateoftheu.com, uh, Stephen Chetham. Just go ahead and call him Steph. Hails from the lovely city of Pittsburgh. And so, I mean, you a lot to unpack about what you just said, um, especially about the quarterback having time. A lot of people were thinking, well, where's this vaunted pass rush? da 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 yeah. da da yeah, we weren't getting there, but it's kind of hard um, for the secondary guys to stick with their receivers because they were moving the ball. They're having some 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 success moving the ball in the air, but it's kind of hard for the you know the corners to stick with guys for that long. You know, the password wasn't really getting there at times. But um, talk about that because, like I said, I mean, if, for any team, you can have Deion Sanders on one side and Darrell Rivas on the other side, and I know you're very familiar with Darrell Rivas living in Pittsburgh. Um, but talk about that because there was a lot of people unhappy with that regard, in that regard. Oh man, Blake Baker. <laughs> I think you say that name in Miami and you, you, you may have uh, <laughs> some eyes on you. All right. Um, yeah. with, with Baker, I mean, everyone wants, wants to kind of put him into the same grouping with, uh, uh, Mark D'Onofrio where oh. they feel, yeah, they, they, they feel that um, they don't like the way some of the guys line up on defense. They, they don't like necessarily, um, how little to some perspectives that we blitz. Um, we, we're, we're coming off of uh, Amani Diaz, who was the guy on, on the, the defensive play calling side. Right. And now that he's the head coach, he's, he's giving up the reins to 
his his young Padawan from Louisiana Louisiana Tech. Right. And so we have to allow for those growing pains with Baker. With that said, Baker is a better coordinator than we give him credit for. Um, I totally agree with that. He's 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 looking to let his 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 defense make plays without having to without having to almost confuse some of the young guys. I mean, with the same thing we see on offense, mm-hmm. where Lashley wants these guys to go out there, think less, play more. Mm-hmm. The same thing applies to the defense. So if we're going out going out there where we're trying to do these elaborate blitzes, where you're doing um, maybe a, a, a cross linebacker blitz over over top of the center with certain players in the defensive line pulling this way right. and people going that way. The NFL kind of teases us, Alabama kind of kind of teases us, where they have these elaborate things that you see and you won't just want to apply them anywhere like it's a, a game of Madden, but it's not that that, that kind of type of situation. It's not. But, I mean, what what we have to do is understand that, yes, there are things he can do better. Maybe he could do more overloading on certain sides of, sides of the, the ball where he puts more more uh, blitzers on the left or the right. Okay. Maybe a, a, little, a little more a little more um, middle of the field blitzing. I think what he, what he tries to keep from happening is the big play. <clears throat> I mean, I, I think that yes. was the one thing that many DS used to get used to get railroaded on because we would give up so many big plays. But that mm-hmm. was because of his propensity to blitz. Yes. When you blitz, that means that there there are more people going after the quarterback than there are to cover receivers. So when that happens, you're going to have more wheel routes that become touchdowns. You're going to have more you're going to have more post patterns that become touchdowns because you only have one safety to to protect your your linebackers and your your your, your cornerbacks. So we have to keep that in mind. Am I am I saying Baker's doing an excellent job? Not not by any means. He still has a lot to work on. Right. However, he has the athletes. He has he has a good scheme where he is blitzing. If you if you paid attention to Pitt in the red zone, they didn't have a, a I want to say maybe one or two plays where you might mind you wasn't blitzing in the red zone to make sure mm-hmm. that those quarterbacks didn't see the entire field. They want to make sure that they, they limit what they saw in the red zone. Right. However, when you have an open field. You have to be careful with that because it's easier to just trust your routes with your, your receivers and just throw the words they're supposed to be. Yep. So you have to be careful when and where you blitz. That does it sound great? No, because we want to see um, guys like like uh, Sam Brooks getting in the backfield. We want right. to see more of the cornerback blitzes where we saw um, Shoulder Redwine um, knock the the bejesus out of the um, the end of Francois a couple of years ago. Yeah. We want to see more of that, right? But the thing is, Baker isn't that type of coordinator he's not going to go all out as often as we would like however he does allow for more of a bend don't break situation where we, we may give up yards but we're not giving up that many points and at the end of the game it's not the team that has most sacks it's the team that gives up the least amount of points listen man you're preaching to the choir and thank you for that insight because <laughs> i think <laughs> i'm serious like look we've seen a lot of times you know miami is kind of moving back and you know on it, at least they seem to be on their heels but they tighten up in the red zone and it's actually been like that since game one it more yep. more more notably louisville because louisville i'm thinking okay you know this vaunted run zone offense or zone run offense and you know oh boy miami did a good you know decent job against louisville last year same thing this year on the road and miami gets in the red zone and they tighten up um really quick because i only have a few uh seconds here left in the segment before we go to the next one but third down efficiency pittsburgh was three of 17 okay over two on fourth down they didn't convert a fourth down conversion at all yesterday 300 yards of total offense 278 in the air again 22 yards on the ground i know i am not reading a typo here they did commit 10 (laughs) penalties for 89 yards miami we saw the chain come out only once yesterday and uh this is the first game all season that uh 
Miami, in terms of time of possession, it was literally split down the middle. Pittsburgh had 30 yep. minutes and 33 seconds, and Miami uh, possessed the ball for 29 minutes and 27 seconds. And we're going to get into a little bit more individual play. we got to talk about UVA. Um, that defense does not look like a, a Bronco Mendenhall coach defense right now. But uh, we're going to step aside really quick, pay some bills, and we'll be right back on the other on the other side of the break. Steph and I, so just keep it locked on the Michael McCoy Show. With, I'm sorry, on SiriusXM Channel 145 Slam Radio. You're listening to The Michael McCoy Show, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. I get it. Your desk has been there for you, holding up your computer, your unused stapler, and that plant you forgot to water. But maybe it's time to leave your desk and spend your lunch break volunteering with Meals on Wheels. Doing Meals on Wheels for me is the joy that I look for at the end of my week. I'll come to the door with one meal and I'll walk away with a full heart. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. We'll be back with The Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. So that Never one makes a back. little more sense. Backwards, not even to get... How do you even, like... Well, hold on. That might be actually difficult to... Para atrás ni para coger impulso. Don't even go back a step, to, even if it's just to go forward. It seems Always like it's a long forward. explanation. Yeah, it's hard it to... It seems like you have to write... Forward. It sounds like two, 250 words. Explain this sentence. That phrase needs an instruction manual. <laughs> Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. I couldn't speak or walk. This is high blood pressure. Get back on your plan. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. And now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for sticking around with Steph and I throughout that last break. You're listening to the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM channel 145 Slam Radio. Wrapped up the first segment talking about uh, UM and uh, the performance at home on uh, Saturday against Pittsburgh, a very, very uh, well-coached Pat Narduzzi team, tough as nails defense, and a team that is not going to go down, you know, without a fight. They're not going to go down swinging, and they host what I consider to be, and probably what Steph considers to be, a very, I'm going to go ahead and say it, overrated Notre Dame team at home yesterday. Yes. So Notre Dame's on um, on upset watch, but we'll probably get into that a little bit later. Want to get into a little bit of more individual play. Definitely talk about Derek King, Will Mallory. But first, man, I want to get into Corey Couch because I remember, I forgot what all-star game he played in as a senior in high school. I want to say it was the Under Armour game where Dion was at. But Dion was raving about the kid, calling him a dog. And Dion was quoted as saying just that in the hotel lobby of after one of the practices with other coaches that that kid has that it factor and is a dog. And I'm going to go ahead and nickname him Glue because that's exactly what the hell he looked like <laughs> on these receivers, man. He's right there on every play. Tell me what you think about number 23, Steph. Number 23, I mean, when he, when he say dog, that's exactly what he is. He just 
he goes out there with this mentality that he can make any play at any time and that he can run with any receiver in the country. And that's exactly what you want your defensive backs. Um, I think we give these guys a lot of, a lot of flack because a lot of defensive backs will see them just go off after, after any, any type of incompletion, like they did something, but couch was actually making things happen throughout the entire game. I want to say he had two or three um, pass breakups where my goodness, that that guy was just glued to some of these, some of these receivers (laughs) hips. I mean, I, I love what I see, you see from him. Even in, in, in uh, run defense, he's not afraid to lower his shoulder, get a little dirty, and and and, uh, and, and get, get some licks in on these these running backs. The the guy just did a, a really great job of just committing himself to the game, making sure that he was on point as much as possible. He's right. still lear- learning out the le- learning the playbook, le- learning where he needs to be on the field. But man, I mean, I think we all came away very impressed with what we saw with the Corey Couch. Absolutely, and then. Knock on wood, because, I mean, I don't want to be that guy, you know, the broadcaster jinx or anything like that, but we know how thin Miami is at that position, and the fact that they've been healthy uh, so far throughout the season is huge. We're going to need that to continue throughout the season, so let's hope for that. Um, Two other guys I wanted to talk about. Listen, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of our tight ends, okay? Especially, I mean, everybody loves Brevin. I do, too, but I don't know what it is with Will Mallory that I just, I don't know, I'm in love with the guy. Um, I say it as many times as I can, and you've probably heard me say it before. I wore out the stat anytime I can, but as a senior in high school, okay, he finished third in the state championship meet in the 110 meter hurdles. That is a fast race. And for somebody weighing, uh, I don't know, let's just call it 200, definitely north of 200 pounds as a senior in high school. That's amazing. Okay. And, um, you know, with Brevin being out on Saturday, I would have thought that he would have had more than two targets. Well, let me not say two targets. I know he had two catches. Both of them went for touchdowns and 51 yards. Steph, why doesn't he get the ball thrown more to him, especially with Brevin not being in the game? I'll tell you what. I mean, I don't know if it was a situation where Pittsburgh was kind of focusing on on, on, on Mallory, but at the same time, you can't say it. I I feel like we watched the game and Mallory was just open constantly. I think it. I think it's more of a situation of what Miami is struggling to do in general right now, okay. and that's throw to the to the middle of the field. Okay. With with uh, with Derek King, he's an excellent um, passer. He's very he's very very accurate when he can see the field. Right. And I don't I don't want to play to the short quarterback um, detractors who say, oh, it's short quarterbacks can't play because they can't see. But it's something that is a reality that they cannot see certain parts of the field because of their height. Okay. And so whenever you, whenever you're a quarterback, it's hard it's it's hard to see that intermediate area because the flats you can see because they're they're to your left and to your right. right. The shorter passes are, are easier to, to to see and predict, especially if you have a screen or if you have a bubble or if you if you have a route or, um, a wheel route. Those are easier to to see and predict. True. Same thing with with deep passes. If if a guy's doing a fly route, you know where he's going to be. You if if you've done it in practice, you know his timing. It's yeah. there. You just you throw it up and let the guy catch the ball. Same with post routes and things of that nature. However, there's more traffic in the middle of, of, of a football field right. at any point in the game. You're gonna have your linebackers, you have defensive tackles that are, are gonna be in your face, your safeties that 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 play down, crossing paths with, with cornerbacks and wide receivers. It is a mess. And yeah. so I think the issue is he's having an issue seeing that part of the field. Okay. Um, even even with Reverend Jordan, where's he getting most of his yards from deeper passes? Or from a, a quick pass, a pass to the left or the right. right. You're not really seeing many cross, cross um, routes at all for this team. Good point. And it's because I think he's getting stuck in this part of the pocket where he's between the hashes and the pocket's not moving 
very much, if at all. Mm -hmm. And so he's either having to stay there and wait for certain certain um, routes to, to complete or he has to dash out. Okay. And I think if we want to see more things happen in the middle of the field, we have to start moving that, that pocket, more bootlegs, more situations where we have our, our, our offensive line moving, moving more to one hash or the other to give him more visibility, more lines of sight. Because if we expect more things to happen with our, 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 our crossing routes, our short patterns that are going to give us 10 to 12 to 15 yards of receiving, mm -hmm. we have to give him more of an ability to see those receivers, to see the field. Because if he, if he can only trust the route and where it's supposed to be, right. but without seeing the actual defenders, yeah. Yeah. you're going to have more turnovers. You're going to have more situations where you're going to have inaccuracy, and it's just going to bog down the game. That's why you saw more deep passes and more routes to the receiver um, to the running backs yesterday, because that's just what he can see. And that's what we're just, we're giving him right now. You hear that ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly why Steph is on the show today because insight and, you know, stuff that I didn't really uh, bother to think about, but I mean, all good points, man. And I mean, you know what, perfect way to segue into talking about Derek King before we get into some UVA talk. Um, he finished a game going 16 for 31, 222 yards, four touchdowns, which is a season high for him, and two picks. Uh, I really wasn't complaining about his performance. I mean, Pittsburgh's a tough defense. Like we said, there's maybe three, four, a handful of guys are going to play on Sunday on that side of the ball, and they come with it. You know, that's a lunch pail type of mentality defense that they got going on over there. But um, Miami offensively, 4 of 13 on third downs, didn't have to go for it on fourth at all yesterday. 331 total yards, 222 came in through the air. Uh, like I said, two interceptions thrown. Miami did go over 100 yards on the ground, 109 to be exact. Uh, yards per rush was only a 2.6, but still balanced. They had 42 rushing attempts, so that's good to mm -hmm. see. Um, and like I said, you know, the time of possession was 29 minutes, but Derek King, man, uh, you pretty much, you know, went over, you talked about him. He did have 11 carries for 32 yards. So listen, um, it's a perfect balance, you know, quarterback rushing the ball, those two scoring plays, uh, with that fake, you know, that he kind of stepped into the offensive line and came back that kind of like fake Tebow thing. Uh, those were magical. I think it's the first time we've seen him this year, that first one to Cam Harris and then obviously Will Mallory, but, um, Let's get into UVA, man, because they, if I'm not mistaken, they, uh, they lost yesterday. Uh, am I, am I not right? They absolutely did. They went up against the Wake Forest team that was, yeah. I, I want to say just, just too fast for them. It's too fast for UVA. That's right. Wake Forest put some numbers on. I'm trying to find the score right here and I for, forgive me for not having it up already. Uh, internet is kind of slow, but UVA last year, um, Miami beat them at home, and that was Manny Diaz's first win over a ranked opponent in his head coaching career. They were ranked number 20 at the time. Uh, Miami's going up to Charlottesville this time. I don't expect an easy game because that's just how the ACC is. You know, you always have some type of game that can trip you up. But assuming, you know, if that defense is looking kind of kind of suspect, then Miami, that's that's kind of a good game for them to have, I'm sorry, a good defense to go up against after especially having to earn every little bit of yardage and points that they did on Saturday versus Pitt. What do you got to say about that game going into next week? I'll tell you what, it's it's one of those games where it can either go really well or not exactly the way we want it to go. We have to be very careful with a team like um, Virginia, not because yeah. they have athletes like FSU and they can – they can match us athlete for athlete, not because they have excellent coordinators 
like like a Clemson or like a UNC where they can maybe get some game make gamesmanship and and get us there. It's more about the way they're coached by their head coach, yeah. Malcolm Mendenhall. Yeah. These guys play so hard do. for sixty minutes. They and the, and the, with with Mendenhall, he's an excellent excellent coach and very proactive. He understands the the deficiencies on this team. And he does everything in his power to give them a Band-Aid and make sure that that, that that deficiency doesn't beat them too much in a game. This year, I think the roster, with so much turnover that, that, that they've had, they lost a, a couple running backs, they lost both their top receivers, and they lost um, Bryce Jenkins, who was pretty much the best quarterback, not named um, Trevor Lawrence or Sam Howell last year in the ACC. Yep. So with, that, with, with, with those losses on offense and on, on, on defense, they just don't look the same there's there's this um there's this missing factor for the Cavaliers at least the last couple of games that have been their downfall you, with with quarterback they they had the uh the the young individual I believe I believe Armstrong who did very well against Clemson for what for 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 what we can take from that in in garbage time mm-hmm. but then you lose him he's similar to Perkins where he's a dual threat he can he can beat you with his legs as well as his arm and now this past game I caught I caught a, a few segments of the Wake Forest game okay. um, um, in Virginia, and they played three quarterbacks. Wow! They played, they played. I want to say, um, um, a, a young. Uh, they played Stone, Armstead, and one other one other individual, and they pretty much just played the hot hand. Okay. So you had a situation where you had, um, and I want to say Armstead is number ninety-eight, and the other individual, Thompson number 99 so very unusual numbers for quarterbacks yeah. <laughs> but we're, we're gonna have to be mindful because virginia will try to do the same thing if armstrong's not available for for this next game on, on uh, the coming saturday because that's going to be an obvious tell of what the defense can expect on that given play um with stone he was t- what he was 24 for 42 against wake forest so you know primarily he's going to stay in the pocket he's right. not going to go anywhere and we can pin our ears back and go after them but with armstead and with thompson those guys can run they, they're they're going to pretty much run a wildcat situation. They only pass three times between the two of them. So when you see them, get ready for a run because that's what's that's what's going to happen. But Virginia is just trying to dial things up because they don't have any true stay in the game, um, goal line to goal line playmakers that they can count on. So they have to differentiate and, and change up change up the looks for us. Listen, um, I know that a lot of people hate to see Miami go up against um, quarterbacks that are mobile. But last year, uh, as you, you know, you talk about Jenkins, Miami had Miami held him in check. He was he was that Virginia offense. Last year. If it wasn't for him, yeah. they wouldn't have looked as good as they did all last year. Put up a decent fight against the Gators in the Orange Bowl. Um, a lot of mistakes. Definitely a game that you know they probably could have won aside from the you know self inflicted wounds that they that they you know that they had happen to them, but. I'm gonna I'm gonna read you some numbers and I want to want you to tell me what you think they are. So, this is uh, the Virginia Wake Forest matchup that happened on Saturday. So, 75, 49, 39, 40, and 32. What do you think those numbers are? Mm, that is tough. Uh, I would say either. Receiving numbers, I'm not sure. Those numbers are big plays that the Virginia defense gave up. 75, uh, they gave up a 75-yard run to Kenneth Walker 
okay? He finished with 128 on the ground yesterday and three touchdowns, an average of 5.6 per carry. Receiving-wise, through the air, uh, Wake Forest's Jokiri Roberson caught a long ball for 49. Donovan Green caught one for 39. A.T. Perry caught one for 40. And Taylor Moran caught one for 32. Miami's offense, as much as I hate to say it, they're like a chunk play offense, a big play offense. So if, you know, Virginia's performance, anything, you know, if it rolls over into next week, then Miami may look to have some big plays like it did against Louisville, uh, maybe even FSU. He didn't have that many big plays. Well, let me not say that because Cam Harris, Will Mallory, and that touchdown to uh, Mike Hardy, they were definitely big plays. But they give up a lot of explosive plays, at least they did on Saturday. And so that kind of plays into Miami's hands. They also run, I want to, yeah, Bronco Menhaw, I think it's safe to say that he still did it from last year and there wasn't that much of a change of three, four defense. So that's something that Miami's going to have to right. prepare for. Big linebackers, obviously three down linemen, but, you know, big linebackers that are pretty, they could, they should be able to move, obviously. So that's going to be something to prepare for. But um, yeah, man, I, I'm looking forward to that. And with a minute 50 to go, how do you think that ultimatum, for lack of a better phrase, Manny gave to his seniors, especially their receivers? How do you think that played out yesterday? We didn't see much of Pope. We did see Harley score yesterday. Wiggins dropped the pass that was, you know, catchable. And we did see a lot of young receivers play. So tell me how you feel about that. I'll tell you what, um, I, I liked it. First and foremost, we need to demand as much as possible as we can from these seniors. Because if you're going to say competition, then you need to, to – demand them to step up if they exactly. can't if they can't respond to a demand then they don't need to start exactly. and I, I love what i saw in the defense where you saw more flag you saw more brooks we saw cows get more in the game so people are going to step up and with these receivers it's only a matter of time I, I'll, I'll give pope a little a little bit of love he was able to come down with all all of his targets yesterday so he's he's doing well enough he may not be the guy we thought he was going to be right. but he's settling into a, a nice um a nice mid-range receiver. Yeah. But with that said, we're, we're going to start seeing more of Redding, more of Keyshawn Smith. I'm um, even restrictable um, down the line. If if the Mike Harleys of the world, if the D Wiggins of the world can't start coming down with 50-50 balls, yeah. staying open, um, beating being cornerbacks that should not be staying in front of them mm. and just making sure that they have communication um, with Derek King. That's where we've seen the, the worst problem. It's not necessarily the drops, but just the lack of communication between right. quarterback and receiver. And I'm going to say with, with, the, with the amount of um, film that King watches and then how hard that guy works, I'm putting that onus on the receivers to step up and make sure that they're on the same page with their, their guy. Absolutely. No, perfectly said, man. And I would have never thought in my wildest dreams for as long as I've been a Kane fan and for as long as you've been a Kane fan that, you know, the words Miami receivers are struggling to get open. That just does sound yes. like an oxymoron, man. It's just kind of, it doesn't, yes. it's not supposed to be that way, but that's where we are right now. But listen, Miami's 4-1. Uh, they, you know, control their own destiny. And I know it's early to say that, but it's true. You know, um, Miami can go ahead, and if they win out, uh, they still play UNC. I mean, even though UNC lost yesterday, Miami's in a good spot, man. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, that's pretty much it. Steph, man, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. I hope it's not the last time. Hey, man, I'd love to be on here as much as you, you have me, man. Go Canes. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, um, that's Steph with uh, – my, my fellow contributor of State of the U with stateofthew.com. So we're going to go ahead and step aside, take another break, and we, we, we will, ooh, sorry, we will be right back to discuss some more college football on the other side of the break. You're listening to The Michael McCoy Show on SiriusXM Channel 145. Keep it locked. You're listening to The Michael McCoy Show, only on SiriusXM 145 Slam Radio. Text and work. 
Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. I couldn't speak or walk. This is high blood pressure. Get back on your plan. Go to LowerYourHBP.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. We'll be back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Just the two of us. You and I. Well, you, got the, you forgot that. Oh, the two of us, we're building castles in the sky, just the two of us. Go. You and I. There you go. Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. I get it. Your desk has been there for you, holding up your computer, your unused stapler, and that plant you forgot to water. But maybe it's time to leave your desk and spend your lunch break volunteering with Meals on Wheels. Doing Meals on Wheels for me is the joy that I look for at the end of my week. I'll come to the door with one meal and I'll walk away with a full heart. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Hey guys, we're back here on the Michael McCoy Show. Thank you very much for sticking around with me throughout that last segment. For those of you that are just joining us, you missed Stephen Chetham or Steph, a fellow contributor for stateoftheu.com. We were talking some Canes football, Miami winning at a home 31 to 19 over the a very tough Pittsburgh Panthers team. And then Miami is getting set to host the Virginia Cavaliers at Hard Rock Stadium this coming Saturday. So we talked about both of those, but it's a perfect segue to talk about the week in college football for the second consecutive week. Some really good games being played, man. Had a 2-3 matchup, some upsets, some blowouts, and um, just a really good week overall. Uh, a lot of streaks, streaks being broken, so we're going to talk about a little bit of those. But let's get right to it, man. Maybe the game of the week, uh, UGA and Bama. The Bulldogs travel to Bryant-Denny Stadium to take on the number two Crimson Tide. And it's the third time these programs have met while ranked in the top three. The big storyline heading into the game was Alabama head coach Nick Saban testing positive for COVID, uh, which meant that offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian would be the main, I'm sorry, the main man on the sidelines. But plot twist. Uh, Saban was cleared to coach after testing negative three times uh, in the last 24 hours leading up to the game. So on he goes. And Bama, honestly, guys, I mean, say what you want about Clemson, but Bama, who I consider to be the best team in the country, despite giving up 48 points to Ole Miss, wins at Bryant-Denny Stadium versus the number three ranked Bulldogs, 41 to 24. And I mean, honestly, what's new? I mean, for real. Uh, Saban has yet to lose to his former defensive coordinator, Kirby Smart, 3-0 in that regard. He's perfect in his last six games versus UGA. Okay, obviously 6-0. And he has won 22 consecutive games versus former assistants. Like I said, what's new? Uh, Bama shut out the Dawgs in the second half and scored 24 unanswered points to beat UGA. 
Uh, I mean, look, man, say what you want about Saban, but I have never had a problem with him. Uh, People talk about, you know, they say he's a jerk or they don't like his attitude, this, that, and the third. People may not like him. To be honest with you, it sounds like it's a Miami Dolphins fan thing because the only people that I really hear that dislike the guy are Miami Dolphins fans. But get over it, guys. That was so long ago. Like, oh, my God, he's still holding on to a grudge. Like, come on now. You got you got his quarterback. You got lefty Tua Tungavailo, who we'll talk about later when we talk some NFL football. But, listen, I like Saban because he's a winner, man. He, he's a winner, and I like – dominance in sports i've always liked teams and programs that dominate because i just it's it it, parody is great but i like teams that dominate and they dominate for a long time because i mean uh you gotta to to be the best you gotta beat the best that's how i see it you know what i mean so what great measuring stick uh you know to 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 go up against in a team like bama or clemson but Bama, man, you know, they they put a number on, on UJ in the second half. Like I said, they scored 24 unanswered points. And going back to Saban, um, in his career versus ranked teams, he has 25 wins versus top five teams. That is the most in college football history. Versus top 10 teams, he has 42 wins. That's also the most. Versus top 15 teams, he's won 58 games. That's also the most in college football history. And get this. Versus top 25 teams, he's won 86 games. That's tied for the most ever with Joe Paterno. Um, really quick stat about that game. Uh, I mean, what can you say? You know, Jones, the quarterback for Alabama, 24 of 32, 417 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. Najee Harris, 31 carries for 152 yards. Bama doing it with balance. They ran the ball 43 times. They passed the ball. 33 times so um that's that man alabama stays at the number two position and we'll talk about rankings later uh clemson georgia tech wow man clemson georgia tech uh domination what can you say when you score 73 points in a game i don't care if it goes into five overtimes that's just that's ridiculous they allowed seven points 73 to seven as uh the tigers walk into bobby dodd stadium and they just pounce all over the Yellow Jackets, Trevor Lawrence throws five first half touchdowns. And I mean, I'm going to tell you what I think about Dabo Sweeney. <laughs> I'm going to tell you why I think he felt the need to put up 73, 73 points versus Georgia Tech, because he knows his team isn't the best team in the country. He knows that the student was not going to be able to beat the master, uh, being Kirby Smart, beating uh, Nick Saban, he knew that wasn't going to be able to happen later on in the day. So to keep that number one ranking, he said, you know what, guys, we got to put up some points. That's my two cents. I'm sticking to it. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Um, but yeah, man, just just relentless offense. Uh, the last touchdown of the game came with seven minutes and 41 seconds to play. It was a passing touchdown. And say what you want. I mean, they win and they're going to pour on the points. Hey, I mean, it's the defense's job to stop it. So I don't really think anybody should be mad at that. Um, put up the box score really quick on that one as I pull it up here in front of me. Where are my notes? Here we go. Like I said, Trevor Lawrence with five first half touchdowns, scoring by quarter for Clemson was 17, 35, 7, and 14. It was 7 7 at one point, ladies and gentlemen. But I guess that pissed off Clemson enough. And that's all she wrote. But um, yeah, I, I don't think they're the best team in the country. I have that as being Bama, Jesse Palmer, and um, uh, what's the other guy on the college football final? 
the Ohio State Buckeye uh, wide receiver. I always forget his name. I'm sorry. But they happen to think that – Joey Galloway, thank you. Uh, they happen to think that Bama has the best offense in the country. I think Bama's the best team in the country. I mean, Bama – First of all, they beat UGA, who a lot of people consider to have the best defense in the country, but they put up 500-plus yards of offense on that defense. I mean, they've beaten better teams. Yes, they allowed 48 points against Ole Miss, but what do you expect against, uh, you know, that type of offense? You already know what you're going to get when you face Ole Miss, considering who their coach is, all right? I mean, think about it. So um, that's how I feel about that. Let's talk about – oh, my God – Let's talk about Louisville, Notre Dame, and how I think the Irish, or not, I'm not the only one, but the Irish are proving to be, again, one of the most overrated teams year in and year out in college football. It's getting to be really ridiculous, but I have receipts, ladies and gentlemen. I have proof, and I have a really, really good stat that should kind of fuel the fire of a Notre Dame bias, all right? So I think the Irish are just... I don't think they're as good as advertised. They may have one of the best offensive lines in the country, but why don't you come down to Miami and play? And we'll show you how that offensive line that you think is so good is probably an absolute fraud like it was in 2017. But, uh, man, you want to know what the Irish remind me of? They remind me of that, 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 high, that private high school football team, right, that just is really well coached, okay? Don't play anybody. They just don't play anybody because the Irish never play anybody or they refuse to play certain teams that wear orange and green. Um, And they have just enough athletes to get by. That's exactly what Notre Dame is. That's exactly what Notre Dame is. They host the Louisville Cardinal, a team that Miami just pretty much spanked on national TV uh, in week two of the season. And Louisville went up seven, six in that game with five minutes to go in the third quarter. Um, But get this. Okay. Notre Dame moves up one spot in the rankings after looking like absolute hot garbage, okay, in a 12-7 to win, a game in which they score one touchdown versus a Louisville team that went on the road and lost their starting QB in the second half, okay? Did they move up one spot after, yes, Georgia loses, okay? Georgia was ranked third. The, the Irish going into the week were ranked fourth. You're expecting, well, Mike, I mean, Georgia lost. So, of course, you got to move them up. No, the hell you don't. And I'm going to tell you why, okay? I'm going to tell you why. Because I'm going to take you guys back to 2005. And by the way, you're listening to the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. I'm going to take you guys back to 2005 when Notre Dame played in one of the best games I have ever seen in college football. It really was one of the greatest games I've ever seen. I remember I was still living in with my parents uh, three years after graduating high school, 2005. And you remember the Bush push? Remember that? Yeah. Um, Notre Dame loses to USC, all right, Um, after USC strolls into Notre Dame, South Bend having won 27 in a row. They beat Notre Dame 34-21. to Um, Notre Dame entered that week ranked number nine in the AP poll. That game was so good, okay? It was so highly contested. And I remember the hype leading up to that game all week long. Notre Dame did have one loss. Notre Dame, and uh, and I'm sorry, USC was undefeated. But, oh, my God, man, what a game that was. I'm going to bring up the stat sheet really quick about that in, in, in that game. 
because it was one to remember. And where is it? I think I have it right here. Oh, I had it. Here it is. 2005. Oh, no. That's the uh, that's the actual. Yeah, here it is. Here's the box score. All right. So Reggie Bush did his thing that game. 15 carries, 160 yards, three touchdowns. Absolutely dominated. Matt Leinart uh, didn't play that great of a game. Uh, threw two interceptions, no touchdowns, threw over 300 yards. Uh, 17 of 32 passing. Um, Brady Quinn, 19 of 35, one touchdown, one interception. Remember Jeff Samarja, who ended up wanting to play, well, not wanting to play, but did end up playing Major League Baseball? Well, he had himself a hell of a game, six catches for 99 yards and a touchdown. It was a great game. It was a great game, and we all know how it ended. Reggie Bush pushes Matt Leinart into the end zone for the go-ahead score, okay? Tightly contested game, great game. Notre Dame loses, right? Ranked number ninth in the country, heading into the game, heading into week seven. Week eight rolls around. Saturday morning, you know, I'm sorry, the following Sunday morning rankings come out. They're sitting pretty, standing pat at number nine in the country. And I agreed with it. They played a great game, a game in which they really should have won. They really should have won that game. And I remember, I don't know if it was, it was ever confirmed or not, but I remember there were rumors about how Notre Dame let the grass grow leading up to that game to kind of slow down the speed of the USC offense. And I guess if that rang true, it worked because, you know, they almost won the game. But um, I, I believe that that ranking was warranted. You barely lose against a team, you know, that's, that's just rolling. The USC Trojans were. And you had one loss going into the week. Uh, USC was undefeated. I believe that they deserve to stand pat, okay? But here's that USC bias. I'm sorry, not USC bias, that Notre Dame bias. Georgia loses a game to the number two team in the country, a team in which, again, I feel is the number one ranked team in the country, all right? 41 to 24. Yeah, they get handled in the second half, all right? They shouldn't have dropped by the way that Notre Dame looked against Louisville. Okay, I'm so sorry, man. I mean, I, I I really didn't take a look at the game when I saw the final score, twelve to seven. I'm thinking, did these guys really kick four field goals? No, they scored one touchdown, and then they decided to go for two, didn't get it, and then the rest of their scores were field goals. When you have that trash of a, of a performance versus a Louisville team that you're supposed to dominate, okay, Louisville's not a bad team but they're not world beaters. They're not top five. I think it's ridiculous. And it just reeks of Notre Dame bias of how they move up in the rankings. N Notre Dame should have dropped. Okay. Georgia should have stood pat at three and Ohio state should have jumped. At least Ohio state should have jumped. Um, Notre Dame. That's how I look at it. And I'm sorry. That's, that's how it should have been. That's how it should have been because Notre Dame is about to get exposed. They played Pittsburgh, and Miami just beat a Pittsburgh team. Uh, Pittsburgh is now on a three-game losing streak. A Pat Narduzzi team uh, is a very tough team to beat, and if they don't get exposed there, they're going to get exposed against Clemson. That's for damn sure. I don't know where that game is. It doesn't matter. It could be played on Pluto. But, uh, yeah, man, it's just it's just ridiculous how, how that Notre Dame bias, they, 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 it, it, it just makes me sick. And as a Miami fan, it makes me even sicker. But um, moving on, okay, that's my two cents about that. UNC FSU, wow, FSU did their best impersonation of a college football team this Saturday. They decided to, you know, resemble one. 
Um, they woke up and uh, I don't know. I don't know what got into them, but they played with confidence, man. They played with confidence. And um, like I said, they, they decided to resemble a college football team rather than the fourth best team in the state. Like they've been playing like all year. They came out swinging, like I said, playing with confidence. Um, UNC didn't know what the hell hit them. The, the Noles were up 31-7 to at the half at Doak Campbell Stadium. UNC came roaring back, making it 31-28, scoring 21 unanswered points. Uh, final play of the game, fourth and nine. U- UNC's driving near midfield with less than a minute to play. Sam Howe finds a wide-open Javante Williams in front of the FSU sideline. When I say wide open, I mean there wasn't a guy within 15 yards, and that may be pushing it but he drops the pass and that's it game over. All right. But FSU did try and do their best job to give one away. And, you know, like I said, UNC scored 21 unanswered points, but um, a little bit of luck never hurt anybody. They come away victorious and Mac Brown stays winless against his alma mater. Now all in 10. All right. That's FSU's first win as an unranked team versus an AP top five team since 2007. Jordan Travis, who's taken over at quarterback for the nose look, actually looks pretty good. Um, but FSU's offensive line still has more issues than a Sports Illustrated magazine. I mean, for crying out loud, they uh, they need some work. And I don't see them winning. I don't even see them winning five games. I know everybody's eligible for a bowl game this year. But for crying out loud, man, um, I, I, they're just, whew, uh, they should tank for something, right? <laughs> But I'm out of time here. I'm going to go ahead and continue the college football conversation in the next segment, and I'll roll it over to some NFL football talk. You're listening to The Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145, Slam Radio. You're listening to The Michael McCoy Show, only on Sirius XM 145, Slam Radio. I get it. Your desk has been there for you, holding up your computer, your unused stapler, and that plant you forgot to water. But maybe it's time to leave your desk and spend your lunch break volunteering with Meals on Wheels. Doing Meals on Wheels for me is the joy that I look for at the end of my week. I'll come to the door with one meal and I'll walk away with a full heart. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. I couldn't speak or walk. This is high blood pressure. Get back on your plan. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. We'll be back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. Hey, man, if, look, if they pick up Tua Manuel Apollo too, I'll, I'll be fine with him. But I'm just looking. I'm looking at the different angles. It doesn't. You I don't call know. him that. I call him Tunga Vailoa. Whatever you want to call him. Listen, I don't know if they're 100% sold on Tua Nigga Manuel Apola. Tunga Vailoa is the next quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. How can you get that name so perfect? Tua Nigga Manuel Apola. Tua? I can't do it. I'm done. Tunga Vailoa. Tua Nigga Manuel Apola. Tunga Vailoa. Tua Nigga Manuel Apola. Tunga Vailoa. Tua Nigga Manuel Apola. Tunga Vailoa. That sounds much better that way. Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. 
now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right, guys, thanks for sticking around with me throughout that last break. You're listening, you're still listening to the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. We're going to keep it rolling and finish out that last uh, bit of college football talk that I wasn't able to complete in the last segment. And we got some streak busters, man. Um, a lot of upsets on Saturday. Auburn at South Carolina. Kentucky played at Rocky Top. And UCF, the self-proclaimed 2017 national champions. What a joke that program is, man. But uh, we're going to talk about them. Um, Auburn, USC. I'm not U. Well, yes, USC, University of South Carolina. The last time that South Carolina beat Auburn was in 1933. Wow. Wow. But um, they went ahead and um, they went ahead and beat Auburn <laughs> on on October of 2020. Not exactly 100 years, but damn near close to it. Bo Nix, who had a really nice season as a freshman last year, did not have a good game, man. All three of uh, his interceptions led to South Carolina scores. South Carolina wins that one 30 to 22. What was going on in 1933? The AP poll had not been established, all right? The country was in the midst of a Great Depression. The average cost of a new home was $5,750, and a gallon of gas cost 10 cents. Woo! That's the last time that Auburn lost to South Carolina. Go Cox, pun intended. Um, Kentucky, basketball school, school, travels to Tennessee, who you can say has been a basketball school for the past couple of years. I still feel that they made a mistake in firing Philip Fulmer when they did, but um, yeah, man, you, uh, Utah, I'm sorry, Utah, uh, university of Tennessee had won 33 of the last 35 games versus Kentucky. Okay. Go figure. And um, Kentucky goes into Rocky top for the first time since 1984. Uh, and they end a 17-game losing streak in that regard. Uh, Kentucky took them to the woodshed. They really, really did. Two pick sixes on two consecutive possessions to go up 14-0 in the second quarter. Uh, there was no scoring in the first quarter in that game. Tennessee looked to be getting things together, especially with how they ended 2019 on a six-game winning streak. Starts off this game with, get this, guys, punt, fumble, pick six, pick six interception that's how their first five drives went and um university of kentucky uh they win that game and get this quote by bob stoops man not bob stoops i'm sorry i'm sorry um mark stoops head coach of the university of kentucky they asked him how you doing after the game he said you asked me uh you asked me if i'm happy about this win i'm sitting on the bus with a glass of bourbon i'm going home and we'll smoke a cigar what's that tell you I think he had a pretty nice, a pretty nice time winning that game. Um, let's talk about what was going on to 1984, the last time the University of Kentucky beat Tennessee. Uh, Doug Flutie won the Heisman Trophy. BYU was the AP and coaching poll national champion, and the first Apple Macintosh went on sale. I was one year old. Goodness gracious, God. Uh, UCF, Memphis. The last time Memphis beat UCF was in 1990. Wow. UCF stinks, man. Uh, they, they, I, I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. I mean, just like they're the best team in Orlando. 
How about that? All right. Memphis wins for the first time since 1990 against UCF. What was going on in 1990? Ty Detmer won the Heisman. Colorado was a national champion. And UCF was a Division I AA. All right. They were they were Division One AA at that point. But that's that. Let's move on into the NFL, man. And what may have been the game of the day? Uh, no, not what may have been. What was definitely the game of the day? Uh Texas, the Texans at Tennessee, man, and woof. Let's 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 talk about that because, um, I that's just it's it's it, it's crazy the decisions that some coaches make, man, and they get paid billions of dollars for this. So Robert Cornell decides to go for two after going up thirty six to twenty nine, which is what, ladies and gentlemen, can you do quick math? That's seven points. Okay, they score a touchdown that puts them up by seven points with a minute and 50 to play. He decides to go for two to put the game out of reach and um, and make the lead swell to nine points instead of kicking a an extra point to make it go by eight, all right? Which obviously Tennessee can still tie it if they march down the field. And um, that's exactly what they did. It's exactly what they did because Roman Cornell's decision to uh, – want to go for two and have his team go up by nine points to me that just reeks i do not have faith in my in my defense that's exactly what that means but um they tried to go for two they didn't get it uh the two-point conversion uh to randall cobb was an incomplete pass it was tipped at the line of scrimmage and uh Tannehill marches his offense down the field titans go on to win in overtime has there ever ever been a more physically imposing running back than Derrick Henry. I mean, there probably has, but this guy is, is just, I don't, I don't know what the hell he's made of. He's made out of like kryptonite or something, but uh, he was clocked at 21.62 miles per hour on his 94 yard touchdown run, which was good for, get this, the third fastest by a ball carrying running back on a scoring play this season. All right. That's nuts. Uh, career high, 264 yards from scrimmage. 212 of those were on the ground. Uh, hailing from Uly High School right here in Florida. Went to Alabama. Won the 2016, I think it was. Uh, Heisman Trophy when Christian McCaffrey got robbed. He's the one that really should have run it. But um, we don't know what Derrick Henry had the nerve to say when asked <laughs> if he knew that he was clocked at 21.62 miles per hour. He said that he was too slow. And he needs to get to 22 miles per hour. Can you imagine trying to tackle that? Like, that's just ridiculous. Um, get this, though. He's now part of a list that includes Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, which to me is the greatest running back of all time, not, not Emmett Smith. I mean, a lot of people, you're either an Emmett guy or a Barry guy. I happen to be a Barry guy. And um, so, yeah, Barry Sanders, Jim Brown, and Ladanian Tomlinson, with the most games of 200 yards – rushing and two touchdowns in NFL history all of those guys did it three times something tells me I have a feeling that we will see Derrick Henry uh get a fourth I don't know I'm just call me crazy just my hunch but Cornell says on his decision to decide to go for two he thought they'd be in better shape to win if they hit on that two-point conversion duh I mean the game goes out of reach with nine points but uh 
yeah, it would have, it would have, it would have completely put the game out of reach for Tennessee unless they something crazy happened, like an onside kick recovery or whatever. But an extra point would have put them up eight. And like I said, to me, that's not like a coach that has zero faith in his defense. Um, Tannehill, man, shutting me up. I made a prediction before the NFL season started that uh, uh, that he take a step back this season. You know, I, I everybody knows you get film on a guy, and um, you know things change, and that's what I thought would happen. But no. No, he's continuing uh, his solid play, 13 touchdowns on the season, two interceptions on 1,368 yards passing in five games. He's throwing for 273 a pop. And, um, I mean, that just shows you, man. I still don't think he's a great quarterback. He's a solid quarterback. But it just shows you what the power of a good defense and an excellent running game can do, all right? Um, You have a combination of that at your disposal – and you're always going to be hard to beat, all right, period. I mean, we're, we're talking about uh, what's his name that won the uh, a Super Bowl in – Trent Dilfer won a freaking Super Bowl in 2000 with uh, the best defense of all time and uh, and Priest Holmes at running back. I mean, come on. But, uh, yeah, man, this guy, Derrick Henry, he's just something else. Uh, I have his numbers here from the Combine, okay, and uh, I want to share them with you. Because in the 2016 NFL Combine, this guy, if I have it right here, where is it, Alabama? 6'3", 247 pounds, and he ran a 4'5", 40-yard dash. That's just crazy. He went in the second round, 45th pick to Tennessee. And my God, man, it's just, that guy's a cheat code. That guy's an absolute cheat code. And um, yeah, uh, that, that's that. that was part of the best game on Sunday. And I want to move on. Uh, Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Cleveland enters the game 4-1. Pittsburgh 4-0. Cleveland loses that game. They're now 4-2. Pittsburgh uh, undefeated for the second time in franchise history. But the Browns never stood a chance in this one. Uh, they got railroaded by the by the Steelers, losing to the tune of 38-7. Um, yeah, Cleveland has lost 16 straight at Pittsburgh. And, and, and that's that. I mean, there's really not much to say about that game. New England and Denver. New England and Denver, and everybody knows that on the Michael McCoy show, uh, one of the most intriguing storylines heading into the NFL season was Brady versus Belichick. And every week I'm going to headline that matchup because I think it's worth noting. And um, so, yeah, for, for this matchup, uh, Denver goes into Foxborough and both quarterbacks, Drew Locke and Cam Newton, they're coming back from not playing for a while, Cam coming back from obviously that COVID scare that he had and Drew Locke was out with a shoulder injury for a while. You guys ever catch that video of Drew Locke rapping on the sidelines? Just the funniest thing. That white boy got some swag, man. Uh, it's funny to watch, but this is Bill Belichick's first loss as a New England coach when the opponent fails to score a touchdown. That's right. The Denver Broncos won that game without scoring a touchdown. Insane when you think about it. And um, I'll give you that score in a second. I'll pull that up. But I just wanted to go over a couple things before that. Uh, What do I have that information? Oh, okay, here I am. I lost myself on the computer. But, yeah, Denver connected on six, okay? Count them. Six, ladies and gentlemen. Not one, not two, not three. Six field goals, all right? Who the hell had that kicker on their fantasy team? My God. Um, but yeah, man, the Pats in my division are still 
in the hunt for the division. I, I, I called them winning the division, especially if Cam Newton stayed healthy. I called them winning the division, start the year. That's my prediction and I'm sticking to it. Uh, the Denver Broncos win that game 18 to 12. Drew Locke throws for 189 and two touchdowns. I'm sorry, two interceptions. Cam Newton, uh, 170, 157, no touchdowns, did throw two interceptions. They really practiced, though, man. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's never going to bode well for you. He did have a touchdown on the ground and 76 rushing yards. The New York Jets come to the Miami Dolphins and, oh, my God, the Jets. 0-5, now 0-6. Uh, Miami entered the game 2-3. and They come away 3-3. Three and and listen, if I'm Trevor Lawrence, I'm doing my best to come back to, you know, I'm coming back for my senior season because if the Jets have the first pick in the 2021 NFL draft, especially if Adam Games, I'm sorry, Adam Gase is still the head coach, there's no way in hell, there's no way in hell I'm, I, I'm, I'm coming out, okay? Because as of right now, as of right now, the Jets have a 47% chance to win, not to win, but uh, for the top pick in the NFL draft, the, the Jaguars have a 20% chance. The Redskins, I'm sorry, the Washington football team has a 13% chance for that first overall pick. The Giants also with a 13% chance and the Eagles with a 7% chance for that, um, for that first overall pick. But um, yeah, man, I, 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 wow. There was, oh, guess what? There was a butt interception in that game. Remember the butt fumble years ago with Mark Sanchez and running into his center's ass and fumbling it? Yeah, there was an interception, a butt interception. Um, that's got to be a new hashtag. It's got to be a meme. It's got to be something. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick throws an interception with 250 to go in the fourth. Or was it the third quarter? It was definitely in the second half. Uh, the Dolphins were up. Um 24 to nothing and you know it was a butt interception <laughs> the 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 new york jets defender caught it with his butt man gets up and runs the opposite way but tua tutonga valoa entered the game and my god he can retire as probably the best quarterback in history the guy's perfect two for two let's see him get some time man um and for those of you that don't remember i'll go ahead and refresh your memory on the tua timeline it was kind of crazy. November 16, 2019, not even a year ago, he suffers a catastrophic hip, hip injury against Mississippi State, undergoes surgery two days later. January 6, 2020, he declares for the, for the 2020 NFL draft. He's medically cleared by March of 2020 for competition, which is insane. April 23rd, he's selected fifth overall by the Dolphins. And on Sunday, he made his NFL debut against the Jets. So, Cool story for him. Hope he remains healthy, and we're going to see him plenty, of course, in the years to come for the Miami Dolphins. And again, just like that, I've reached the end of another uh, segment. I'll be right back to wrap up my NFL talk because I still have to get into uh, Brady versus Belichick and uh, the Bay of Pigs competition that took place yesterday in Tampa Bay. I'll talk about that in the next segment. You're listening to the Mike McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145. Keep it locked. You're listening to The Michael McCoy Show, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. I get it. Your desk has been there for you, holding up your computer, your unused stapler, and that plant you forgot to water. But maybe it's time to leave your desk and spend your lunch break volunteering with Meals on Wheels. 
Doing Meals on Wheels for me is the joy that I look for at the end of my week. I'll come to the door with one meal and I'll walk away with a full heart. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Good morning, amigo. I mean, really, it really apologist. comes down to... I'm going to make an apologist image for you, bro, because uh, everything that I say, you like, oh, but LeBron had to do this, and if he, if he had to jump over a car. Isn't LeBron the king? And again, LeBron jump over the Empire State Building? He probably could, but why probably, would he do but it? but why doesn't he jump over the Empire State Building to win a slam dunk contest? Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. I couldn't speak or walk. This is high blood pressure. Get back on your plan. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. And now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. And we're back here with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. You know what I didn't do after talking some college football, which if you haven't figured out by now, I absolutely love. Um, I didn't I didn't share the rankings with you guys, and I completely apologize about that. Uh, let's do that right now. Let's do that right now before I finish talking about that uh, Bay of Pigs competition. <laughs> as Chris Berman of ESPN or Boomer, as they call him, so eloquently puts it. So let, let me go ahead and do that because I just had a mental, a mental error there, had a brain fart, and I completely forgot to go over uh, the week eight rankings. So with that being said, let's, let, let's do that. Clemson, obviously, after that routing of uh, Georgia Tech, they stay put at number one. I already shared with you guys in the last couple of segments who I feel the number one team in the country is, especially after pretty much putting the clamps on then number three, Georgia. But Alabama's ranked number two. I feel they should be number one. I think they're the deeper team. I think they're they're better coach team, uh, better offense, and better defense. I think they're just a more complete team. I really do. But we'll see if those teams end up playing each other for all the marbles come, uh, come college football playoff time. So uh actually i have the week seven rankings let me go ahead and put week eight and so yeah georgia is number four i'm sorry alabama's number two notre dame you guys saw me rant and how they shouldn't even be uh they should definitely have not moved up they should have dropped a couple spots with that ridiculous performance that they had at home okay against louisville uh they're ranked number three they move up a spot after georgia loses georgia moves to number four ohio state hasn't played a game because the big 10 is the big 10 and they're big 10 right now uh they're at number five oklahoma state texas a&m penn state cincinnati and uh the gators round out the top 10 miami checks in at number 11 and by the way this is the ap poll that we're talking about obviously uh, BYU, Oregon, UNC drops from all the way, what were they, number five? 
everybody knows they weren't the fifth ranked team, but they're now at 14. Wisconsin rounds out the top 15. SMU, uh, Iowa State, Michigan, Virginia Tech, Kansas, and Minnesota is at 21. And then to round out the top 25, you got Marshall 22, NC State 23, USC 24, and Coastal Carolina cracks the top 25 after not being ranked. They are in at 25 with a uh, 4-0 record. And um, let me see if I can go over some scores in the top 25. But, I mean, the things that stands out to me the most about these rankings, number one, and we almost never see this, the amount of ACC teams in there. Obviously, Clemson, number one. Okay. Miami, the second ACC team up there. If you – I refuse – to count Notre Dame as an ACC team. They're playing under ACC schedules this year. And uh, I just, they, gosh, that program, man. I don't understand the infatuation around the nation with that school. I don't get it. But I'm not going to count them as an ACC school. Uh, Miami's the second ACC school. North Carolina, the third. You got Virginia Tech, the fourth. And then NC State. Five ACC schools in the top 25. Can't remember the last time that that happened, but it's happening right now. And um, some scores are on college football over this weekend. Went over a few of them, but uh, around the top 25, like I said, Coastal Carolina, they cracked the rankings, beating uh, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns by three points, 30 to 27. They're at 25 right now. BYU. Shuts the door on Houston, 43 to 26. SMU handles business against Tulane, 37 to 34. We talked about Clemson, Georgia Tech. We talked about Georgia, Alabama. Talked about Notre Dame, Louisville. Talked about North Carolina, Florida State. Texas A&M handles business against uh, Mississippi State on the road, 28 to 14. Uh, Talked Miami and Pittsburgh. Talked Auburn, South Carolina. Talked Kentucky and uh, Tennessee. Virginia Tech, 40. They beat up on Boston College, 40 to 14. Oklahoma State, obviously, Baylor, uh, you know, that game hasn't wasn't played. It was postponed. Cincinnati, Tulsa wasn't played. And LSU, Florida, I believe game day was supposed to be there. That game was not played. Florida dealing with a COVID breakout. That's never good news. Dan Mullen testing positive. Um for COVID-19, 21 players and staffers all together at that Florida Gators program have tested positive for COVID-19. So they got to get their act together before they're even, um, you know, before they see another another game or another opponent. But you want to know what I'm thinking? If I'm a player, and this goes for uh, any sport, you know, especially with COVID going around. But um, let's say, let's take the Gators for an example. You know, they test positive right as a visiting team i'm not going to want to go anywhere near you know their facilities i get it the gators have their own locker room but still uh you know people walk around there's janitors there's maintenance people there's all types of stuff and um, i'm not going to want to go anywhere in there i get it they got to be cleaned and sanitized but still like just something mental about that i'm not going to want to just i i don't know i don't know how they handle that but uh, maybe that's why I'm not a football player and I just sit here talking about him, whatever. But um, yeah, that's the top 25. We'll see how things shake out next week. Got some good games coming up.
But uh, let's go ahead and head back to the NFL, because like I said, I wanted to finish talking about uh, Green Bay Tampa. We'll start talking about Green Bay Tampa Bay. And then obviously the Brady Belichick watch that I love to go ahead and talk about every week on the Michael McCoy show, because like I said, and like I've been saying to me, that's the most intriguing storyline in the NFL uh, since day one, you know, since, since, since Brady left new England. And I'm going to be looking at that every week (laughs) on this show. Like I have been, but yeah, green Bay four and oh travels to Tampa Bay three and two. Remember when Green Bay and Tampa Bay used to really, really, really blow and they just were not good teams way, way, way back when? Like for Green Bay, it was pre-Brett Favre and on Tampa Bay's end, it was, well, I mean, they really started being respectable in the late 90s and they were horrible all throughout before that. You know, they were pretty much horrible up until the mid to late 90s. So, um, like I said, Berman, <laughs> whenever these two teams would match up, he'd call this game the Bay of Pigs. That's how bad these guys were. It stunk. But um, in 2020, it's different. And this game actually had some meaning to it. So Green Bay goes on the road. And they actually started, you know, the game pretty well going up 10 nothing in the first quarter. But uh, that was all she wrote. It was all downhill from there. The Bucks hold Green Bay to a season low 10 points and they have allowed 20 or fewer points in the last and I'm sorry in four of the last five games and we all know when Tom Brady has a defense you know he doesn't need much else you know uh, I'd like to ref, you know go back to his days in New England and times that he really didn't have a receiving threat you go back to that first Super Bowl what was it Troy Brown was his best uh was his best receiver, you know? And um, I don't know, man, that guy, I get it. System thing, we'll see. And that's what everybody, that's the that was the whole storyline that everybody was talking about coming into the season. Can, you know, Brady win without Belichick? Can Belichick win without Brady? Who's going to miss who more? Who needs who more, you know, the most? And for me, it was, I felt it was Brady needing Belichick more, right? Always felt that way. Belichick has done it over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, towards the beginning of the season, I used the example that everybody likes to use, but it's the one that stands out the most. Matt Castle doing his thing back in, what was that, 2000? I'm not going to take a stab at it, but, you know, the year that Brady tore his ACL, Matt Castle takes over, the Pats win, what, 10, 11 games. They still don't make the playoffs. That was the year in which the Dolphins had that crazy run with the Wildcat and Ronnie Brown and all that stuff. Tony Sperano uh, lighting a fire under that team. Rest in peace, Tony. But yeah, that year, they don't make the playoffs, but Belichick proves he could win. You know, Brady goes out with for a little bit, you know, in that suspension. Garoppolo comes in, he steps in, they win some games. So he's he's proved that he could done it. Obviously, he did it, you know, as, as a head coach of the Cleveland Brown in the early 90s. So um, I get it, you know, the Heat didn't win, lead them to a Super Bowl, but the guy can win without Brady. That's exactly why I said Brady, you know, needs him more. And a lot of people like to label Brady as a uh, system quarterback, but uh, here we are. And so let me get back to my notes here. Um, but yeah, they jump out to a 10-0 lead. The Bucks hold the uh, the Packers to a seasonal 10 points. And um, 
entering the game uh, as the most penalized team in the NFL, the Bucks were a Tom Brady team. Think about that. A Tom Brady team as the most penalized team in the NFL. You want to know how many penalties they had on Sunday? Nada. Zero. Zilch. None. Nothing. However you want to slice it. Uh, they were only the second team in NFL history to not have a game. I'm sorry, to not have a penalty throughout the uh, throughout the game. So I'm sorry. Oh no, 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 second time in franchise history. I'm sorry about that. Second time in franchise history that the Bucks did not commit a penalty throughout the game. Sorry about that. So Gronk makes an appearance, decides to make an appearance in 2020. He hauls in his first touchdown of the season, his first since 2018. And remember how everybody was making a collective, you know, a collective holy crap when he signed with Tampa Bay after Tom Brady went there? I mean, except now he's really become the biggest decoy in NFL history. Doesn't do anything for that offense except be a decoy. I mean, he's always been a good blocker. Um, But yeah, man, uh, that guy's not doing it. I mean, I thought he was going to be a part of that offense big time. And obviously that hasn't been the case, but um, let's move on to the Packers side of thing. Aaron Rodgers throws uh, the first of his two interceptions of the season. The first one was a pick six. And guess how many pick sixes that guy has thrown in his entire Hall of Fame career? Because he is going to the Hall of Fame. Um, three. The one that he threw yesterday against Tampa Bay was only his third pick six of his entire career. That's insane. I bet Tony Romo's jealous of that stat. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, they they go on to lose by 28 points. It's the first game with zero passing touchdowns and two interceptions since 2014 for Aaron Rodgers. The Pack also allowed five sacks in this one. Uh, the Bucks, like I said, with no penalties, but they also didn't turn the ball over, and they also did not allow any sacks. That right there, ladies and gentlemen, is the third time in NFL history that it's happened uh, that any team was able to complete such a feat. And um, I mean, it's it's really the third time it's happened since those stats have been tracked. That goes back to 1960. By the way, guys, I'm not a stat geek. I get this from ESPN. You know, I do a good job taking notes, and <laughs> that's how I'm reading this to you. But yeah, uh, the last team to do was the Colts in 1999. So, you know, they were talking to Aaron Rodgers after the game and he feels that, you know, that game was kind of an aberration and not to be, uh, not a good way to measure where that team is so far in the season or where the Packers stand. Remember, they entered the game four and one. They're now, I'm sorry, four and oh. They're now four and one. Tampa Bay is now four and two. Uh, but he said he wasn't happy with the team's performance throughout the practice uh, leading up to the game this week. Uh, well, last week. And uh, Brady didn't have much to do in that one either. Uh, I'm going to go over the stats in a little bit. But the Bucks scored 38 unanswered to win 38 to 10. And um, let's go ahead and, you know, do that comparison really quick. So the Bucks uh, in games this season, loss, win, win win, loss, win, four and two. They're perfect at home, one and two on the road. New England, win, loss, win, loss, loss. They're two and three with two and one on the road and they're winless. I'm sorry, they're two and one at home, winless on the road. Um, 
let me pull up that box score for that game really quick because I'm already running out of time in this segment. But uh, where is it? Pats and not Pats. I keep saying Pats. Bucks and Packers. Like I said, the Packers scored 10 in the first quarter and then the Bucks rattle off 38 in a row. Tom Brady, very pedestrian game, 17 of 27 for a buck 66 and two touchdowns. Ronald Jones is killing me. I drafted him fantasy and I let him go. He goes off for 113 and two touchdowns. Rob Gronkowski, five receptions, 78 yards and a touchdown. And then we did talk about Aaron Rodgers, very non-Rodgers-like performance. He threw two interceptions, one of them going for a pick six. Uh, his numbers on the day were as follows. He throws for 160 and uh, on 16 of 35 passing, no touchdowns there. So I'm going to step aside really quick, take a quick break. I'll be right back. Talk some more football. I'll go over the NFL standings and got to talk about some NBA, man. There's been some coaching moves or some coaching rumors, I should say. I'm going to go ahead and do that. And you've been listening to the Michael McCourt Show. Just keep it locked on channel 145 slam radio you're listening to the michael mccoy show only on sirius xm 145 slam radio text and work text and pretend to work text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working who me text and whatever just don't text and drive visit stoptextsstoprex.org a message from nitsa and the ad council 180 over 111 and i had a stroke I couldn't speak or walk. This is high blood pressure. Get back on your plan. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. We'll be back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. So that Never one makes a little more sense. Backwards, not even to get... How do you even, like... Well, hold on. That might be actually difficult to... Para atrás ni para coger impulso. Don't even go back a step, to, even if it's just to go forward. It seems Always like it's a long forward. explanation. Yeah, it's hard it to... It seems like you have to write... Forward. It sounds like two, 250 words. Explain this sentence. That phrase needs an instruction manual. <laughs> Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. I get it. Your desk has been there for you, holding up your computer, your unused stapler, and that plant you forgot to water. But maybe it's time to leave your desk and spend your lunch break volunteering with Meals on Wheels. Doing Meals on Wheels for me is the joy that I look for at the end of my week. I'll come to the door with one meal and I'll walk away with a full heart. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right, guys, I'm back for the final segment of the Michael McCoy Show. Thank you very much if you've been uh, listening throughout. Uh, had Steph Chetham of stateoftheu.com come on and talk some Canes football with me. And we were talking about the Canes victory over the Pittsburgh Panthers winning uh, 31 to 19 talked a little about the game going into this weekend against UVA at the uh, Hard Rock Stadium. 
had a nice little conversation. Well, let me not say conversation, but a uh, nice little second about college football and how Notre Dame really doesn't deserve to have moved up in the rankings. I think that was absolutely ridiculous that that happened. Talking about a little bit the NFL, which I'm going to finish talking about right now and finish off the show with some with some hoops. Even though the season is over, we got a lot to look forward to or some news, I should say, on the NBA front. But I wanted to go over just a few scores that I may have, but I may not have touched on. So I did talk about the Titans. The Colts are four and two. Uh, they beat up on the Bengals. Well, not beat up. It was actually a pretty close game. 31 to 27. Phillip Rivers goes off for 20. Um, uh, I'm sorry. He throws for 371 yards, completing 29 of 44, three touchdowns. Um, rookie T Higgins is looking good for the Bengals. He had six catches of 120. I'm sorry, on 125 yards. The Clemson product did. The Falcons, they get their first one of the season, beating the Vikings 40 to 23. Talked about the Broncos and the Pats. The Giants also get their first victory of the season and first of Joe Judge's uh head coaching career. They beat the Washington football team. That is so weird to say that, man. It's just wow. But the Giants went 20 to 19. Ravens beat up on the Eagles. I keep saying beat up when it's a close game. <laughs> 30 to 28. Uh, Carson Wentz, 21 of 40, 213 yards and two touchdowns. But the Ravens are now five and one. The Eagles, a weird one, four and one record. Uh, talked about the Steelers and Browns. The Bears beat the Panthers 23 to 16. They're now five and one. The Panthers fall to back to 503 and three. The Lions beat the Jaguars 34 to 16. Talked about the Dolphins. And uh, my Niners win a tough game, man. They climb back to 500, 24 and I'm sorry, 24 to 16, beating the Rams at home. The Rams are now four and two. That division is going to get ugly. Uh, because, you know, the Saints, I'm sorry, not the Saints, but uh, the Seahawks look good. The Niners, hopefully, you know, they start getting healthy. Obviously, they're going to miss Josie Boza big time for the rest of the season. But um, we'll see, man. We'll see. And the Rams look like they're coming back after that Super Bowl season that they had a few years ago. They haven't looked good, but they're 4-2 and two now. So just a quick look at the standings before I go ahead and immerse in some NBA talk. So the Bills are atop the AFC East at four and one. The Dolphins are three and three. The Pats still, I still think they're going to win the division. I have not slept on that Bill Belichick team. I just, I never would. As long as he's the, you know, the head guy over there, to me, they're as good as gold. And uh, again, the talk for New England coming into the season was, can Cam Newton stay healthy? Missed some time, obviously, with COVID, but that's something that he could control. Not that you could control any injuries, but you get my point. And the Jets at the bottom of the barrel, 0-6. AFC North, you got the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of only, what, two undefeated teams in the NFL? Three undefeated teams in the NFL. They're 5-0. and Like I said, they beat the uh, the Browns yesterday. Uh, the Ravens are 5-1. and Browns four and two and the Bengals are one and four. You got the Tennessee Titans who, which by the way, they face the Steelers next week. That's going to be a really, really good game. It's only the sixth time I believe in the Super Bowl era where a set of five and O teams meet up uh, to play, you know, 
this, this early in the season. So that's going to be a good one. Pittsburgh and Tennessee, that's going to be a knock them out, drag them out game because Tennessee's defense, boy, they come to play. Pittsburgh's defense is finally living up to, you know, their standard because their defense has not looked great uh, the past couple of years, but they're going to see a Derrick Henry that, um, well, I talked about him a couple of seconds ago. Are you trying to tackle that guy? I'm not. But Tennessee is 5-0 and atop the AFC South. The Colts 4-2, and Texans 1-5, and and the Jaguars are also 1-5. and And then moving on to AFC West, the defending Super Bowl champions are 4-1. Uh, Vegas Raiders still so weird to say that man that that team does not belong in freaking Las Vegas but they're three and two and they are yeah they're on top of the Broncos who are two and three and then the Chargers one and four the uh, Cowboys are atop the NFC East this has to be the worst division in all of sports okay not even the NFL but the Cowboys two and three the Eagles are second place in that division one four and one and then the Giants and the Washington football team round out the bottom of the barrel in that division at one and five. You got the NFC North, the Bears, five and one, followed by the Packers at four and one, the Lions, two and three, the Vikings, one and four, NFC South, the Bucks atop that division, four and two, the, uh, the Saints trail them, uh, they're at three and two, the Panthers, three and three, and the Falcons, a lowly one and five. And finally, the third undefeated team in the NFL. You got the Seahawks at five and zero, followed by the Rams four and two, the Cardinals three and two, and the Niners three and three. One of the more competitive divisions in the NFL is the NFC West. So finally, let's get into some NBA coaching talk because there have been some vacancies that were filled. A uh, couple of names out there for teams that are looking to hire, and so let's talk about them. So. This was a while ago, but even though it was a while ago, I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. My Bulls went ahead and hired Billy Donovan. And you want to know what was funny? Uh, Before he was even let go, there was rumors that he was going to be let go. I tweeted. I said, you know what? Billy me. (laughs) I think that was what I said. Or Donovan me, one of them. Billy Donovan me. Uh, Yeah, man. That's who I wanted. That's who I wanted the Bulls to pick up. They went ahead and got him. But then, you know, Doc Rivers parts ways with the Clippers. And I said, damn it. Uh, you know, they, they probably made the hire a little bit too soon. But you want to know what? Doc Rivers wasn't thinking about taking anything other than a t- uh, anything other than a job that he can win at. And obviously, he takes a job with the Sixers. But um, that's another position that was filled. Doc Rivers takes the job with the Sixers. But there's other names out there, man. And um, let's talk about him. So I have a list pulled up here. Obviously, Mike D'Antoni, he's out there. I'm not a fan of the way uh, he coaches. I'm not a fan of the style of play that he endorses in the in, in the NBA. It's just, I, I, it's not basketball to me, man. And you guys have heard me talk about it. I don't want to go off on that again because it's just, it, I, I'm, I'm sick of it. But somebody's going to go ahead and hire him. And um, I don't know. I mean, you think about Mike D'Antoni. The thing with him is he can get hired for a team that is building and he can get hired for a team that is on the cusp. The thing is, the team that is on the cusp will never get over the hump because the band, the brand of basketball that he endorses is not winning basketball. It's that simple. 
But anyway, he's available. So is Nate McMillan, who was fired from the Pacers position. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy, a guy that hasn't held a position in a really, really long time. And it's so funny that uh, he used to be the head man over at Houston way back when uh, Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming were the headliners on that franchise. Well, um, he's being talked about again, okay, for that same position. Wes Unseld, the Nuggets assistant, defensive defensive uh, guru. And it's funny because the Bulls were looking into him. Uh, but he's out there as well. Uh, let's see who else. Um, Chauncey Billups is another one. It's an intriguing one because he kind of falls in line with uh, Steve Nash and not having any coaching experience in the NBA. And um, everybody knows Steve Nash takes that position out of nowhere for the Brooklyn Nets. And I mean, call it a fit, maybe not, maybe so. I don't know how you want to look at it, but KD wanted him. And listen, if KD wants you, hey, how can you how can you argue with that? Uh, definitely knows what he's doing in terms of point guard play, but can he do it? Will that translate, you know, to the bench? You know, so we'll see, man. We'll see the relationship that he has with Kyrie Irving and KD. But like I said, KD endorsed him. So if he wanted him, it can't be, it, it, it has to be, it has to work out. It, it just has to work out in some, in some regard. Uh, last, last I heard of Nash was he was like some type of advisor or uh, a consultant for the Warriors. You saw him behind the scenes a lot when the Warriors were winning their championship not too long ago. By the way, they're going to be back, guys. They're going to be back, and they have a top two pick. <laughs> well, the second pick in the NBA, what they want to do with it, we'll see. They're probably going to have to trade it because they are so capped out. I don't even think they can freaking afford it. And I know there's a rookie scale, but damn it, they, they're so capped out. They're, they're going to have to do something. I think they're probably best off trading the pick for assets. We'll see. But listen, anytime you got a healthy Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, watch out. They will push the Lakers for um, – the best team in the West. All right. Ty Lue, man, this is a hire that this is what I really wanted to talk about. And this is why I'm talking about, you know, the hires and who's available because Ty Lue gets the nod over with the Clippers. And I was not a fan of that. I really was not a fan of that. And I'll tell you why. Um, why did they hire him? Why? Why? Because he won a championship in Cleveland. No, he didn't. Not as a head coach, he didn't. He probably won it as an innocent bystander, but not as an not a, not as an NBA coach. We all know who was coaching and GMing that team. It was LeBron James. You know, he he. That's there's no secret there. I don't have anything against Tyloo, nothing at all. But to give him the keys to a franchise that is literally right there, and if the Clippers did get past the Denver Nuggets in the second round of uh, the 2020 playoffs in the bubble in Orlando, I fully expected them to beat the Lakers. You're probably thinking, well, Mike, they couldn't even get past the damn Nuggets. What are you thinking that they would have had a chance against uh, the Lakers? Well, it's all about matchups. It's all about matchups. And I believe the Nuggets were way, way, way deeper uh, than the Lakers because the Lakers, that team, it, it, that was a flawed team. You know, they were built and it, look at it this way. And I know you're going to say it, you know, well, Mike, if you lose Anthony Davis or LeBron James, you, you know, <laughs> what chance do you have? Yeah, I get it. But 
it still deserves to be said. If any one of those guys went down, their season was over, okay? That wouldn't have been the case with the Clippers. That wouldn't have been the case with the Nuggets. That wouldn't have been the case with the Heat, you know? Uh, it, but it would have been the case with, um, with L.A. It would have been the case with with the Bucks, you know, you have Giannis good. I mean, the, the Bucks probably still would have been respectable. Maybe, I don't know, in the Eastern Conference because Chris Middleton, he's a player. He's not Giannis. You know, Giannis is the reigning MVP, two-time MVP. But yeah, man, um, I don't know. I just, I, I, I would have liked Mark Jackson to get a look, okay? Um, you know, both Van Gundy's are available. Uh I don't know, man. It was just, it was just weird. It was just weird. You want to know who's a name that nobody's thinking about? Well, let I me mean, I mean, not say nobody's thinking about, but uh, I haven't heard come up. Is Chris Quinn the Heat assistant? You know, you you figure uh, Eric Spolstra gets tutelage from Pat Riley after so many years because Spolstra came up. He really came up within that Heat system, right? Was a video coordinator you know, doing all that stuff. Then all of a sudden he finds his way on the bench, you know, behind Van Gundy and then Riley, and then boom, he gets his shot. Well, Chris Quinn, former point guard of the Heat, he's been there for, I don't know how long, but that's a quality guy. I mean, he's learning from Spo. Spo's a top five coach in the NBA. So Chris Quinn is going to get his shot at some point. And you know, he's, you know, he's gotten some really good education behind Spo in that Heat system. Uh, taking notes and learning, obviously behind Riley as well. So we'll see. But yeah, that 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 move that the Clippers made, I was really disappointed with it. I really wanted to see Mark Jackson get that job, and the fact that he didn't is I don't know, man. We'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, Alvin Gentry's another another name that's out there. I already talked about the other Van Gundy, Stan Van Gundy. You want to know the thing I, I like about Van Gundy is anywhere he goes, he. Uh, Actually, no, the thing I dislike, I'm sorry, the thing I dislike about Van Gundy is teams use him as a stopgap. They don't use him as a coach that can get a team over the hump. And I absolutely believe that he has, he's capable of that. You think about it, when he was with the Heat, okay, uh, the Heat were building. Dwayne Wade was a rookie, uh, you know, Jermaine O'Neal, Brian Grant, you know, that team right there, Karan Butler, does a nice job, takes him to the playoffs, uh, they beat the, not the Pacers, they beat the Hornets, Baron Davis led Hornets, uh, move on and advance to the second round. They eventually get beat, you know, by the Pacers, but um, that's going to be the type of job that he gets offered, a type of job, maybe like a, a, a Pelicans job and where he can uh, bring some order to a young franchise. And I kind of hate that, that these coaches have they're like pigeonholed for certain types of roles and i think that's a mistake because i think van gundy can absolutely lead a franchise uh to the promised land very 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 intelligent coach and um i mean that's how i feel about it that's 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 my thing we all know about the other van gundy he he took the Knicks to the nba finals and they lost in five games in 1999 to the spurs but um yeah man we'll see there's a lot of time that's you know uh Ahead of us, we'll see what happens. Uh, the Thunder, I don't think they filled out their, their coaching job. Uh, obviously, Billy Donovan left that one. Talked about Steve Nash and the Bucks. I'm sorry, and the uh, and the Nets. Uh, the Bulls obviously hired Billy Donovan. 
and we'll see Tom Thibodeau with the with the Knicks. That's one obviously that I have a lot of interest in because as a Bulls fan myself, I know what Tom Thibodeau brings to the table. And we'll see, man. But the Knicks need way more than just a solid coach. They need they need everything. Poor Knicks, man. Jesus Christ. A team that should be uh one of the front runners as the best teams in I'm sorry, yeah, the best franchises in NBA history in the mecca of basketball, but they're not. That sucks. <laughs> the Knicks need to be good, man. That's all I got. I appreciate you guys sticking around with me and um, listening to today's show. Hopefully you enjoyed it. But I'll be back next week. Same time, same place. You guys stay safe. Hashtag wear a mask. And you've been listening to the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. Keep it locked and have a wonderful Monday. The views and opinions expressed on the Michael McCoy Show are entirely those of the hosts, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Slam Radio.